The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design, created to help connect Black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a Black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to the10thcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry, and this is our five- hundredth episode well technically it's our 505th episode if you count like the bonus ones that we've done but the important thing is that we made it to yet another extremely rare milestone (laughs) and i mean i could not have made it here of course without you the listener and without our team without our guests and without honestly our sponsors uh speaking of which revision path is supported by brevity and wit Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click on the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with the one and only Dr. Cheryl D. Miller, AIGA medalist, Cooper Hewitt National Design Awardee, inductee into the One Club Creative Hall of Fame. I mean, the list of accolades goes on and on and on. Longtime fans of the podcast will remember that I first interviewed Cheryl back in 2018, and I'm so delighted to have her back on the show. So sit back and enjoy our unedited interview with one of our true living design legends. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Maurice, I am Cheryl D. Miller. (laughs) (laughs) No introduction needed. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, I barely have a website, and now it's come down to just Google that, okay? And I'm not the basketball player. Okay, there are three of us, and I think there's a psychologist and a basketball player. Just put in Cheryl D. Miller, and that's it. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. Just Google Cheryl D. Miller. (laughs) (laughs) How is 2023 going so far? 2023 is going really, really well. And I say that I've been granted much favor and grace through the pandemic, and it's continuing, okay? And 2023 has just expanded with new platforms, new vision, new sharing that really all has been birth from our pandemic season. It's going really well. My projects, I've been 
a professor at several universities. I'm now with three. And that's a unique experience because everyone that's working with me is developing this hybrid pedagogy. And I say the only thing that's left for me to explore with this is that I'll hologram into my classrooms next. So somebody has that that figured out next, then I'll be lecturing via hologram in the metaverse. I don't, I would say soon. (laughs) (laughs) So you're at, you're at Howard, you're at UT Austin and art center, right? Art center college of design in Pasadena. Yes. All three. Wow. Yeah. And I'm crossing my fingers. I've been talking with University of Connecticut, UConn, because it's in my geography. I've wanted to do something locally. I might be with them in the fall as well. Since pandemic, I have carried four universities at a time. Light work for Cheryl Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, outside of that, do you have any like big goals or projects that you are working on now? Well, yeah, I've dedicated myself to writing the rest of the way out. I have a lot of things to write, Maurice. And I don't want to talk too much about the writing, but I'm writing crazy. And one of the things that I do pride myself on, I do pride myself on a few things. That is, I don't compile footnotes. My work, I make footnotes. So my revelation, my development of scholarship, I am creating conversation that I'm hoping they will be, my footnotes and the things I write, finding proof for my revelations. I'm leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. I will never write as many books as footnotes that I will leave to my scholarship. That's one of the things that I really, really believe in that our community, which I represent the BIPOC indigenous community with being African-American, but a woman of many, many colors. And we must write, we must publish, and but we can't do that if we don't have content. So my work is I want to make sure that I leave as many footnotes and content as possible. And that doesn't always mean that it's in the form of a book. So I'm putting up my YouTubes, my lectures, recordings, all these things that if you study the things that I'm leaving behind, those that are really writing and researching have footnotes that they can create and compile, you know, for their books and so forth. We can't write if we don't have content. So, and one of the things that I always contend is that uh, I think Barhouse is a hundred and a few years old. I've lived two thirds of that history. So my lived experience must be documented, which is much different than compiling footnotes out of the library. So, but you can't do that if you don't have content. I'm leaving content valuable. I know what's in the card catalogs. I know what I've experienced. I know what I've lived through. I don't compile footnotes in my work. I create them. So my lived experience, my lived history, I've been an eyewitness to a lot of things. I've known a lot of people. So writing that out in different forms, which is really my scholarship and revelation, I'm creating footnotes. And then I'm documenting those notes in places where 
if you're gonna really gonna do the work, you'll find Cheryl Miller said. <laughs> you'll you'll find Cheryl Miller found this out. Um, mm-hmm. You're gonna find Cheryl Miller's research. And so, if I I'll be lucky if I get maybe you know three books out, but making sure the ingredients for you all to write, that's been a big part of my work, which is I'm in a sacred project of collecting black graphic design history that's in collections with um, Stanford University and Cooper Union, Herb Ballin Center. It's sacred work because I find deceased black designers and estates. I'm working with families that know that their loved one had some crazy kind of career and it's all in a box in the attic or in the basement and they don't know what to do with that ephemeral. And usually I show up giving them a place to have their work preserved and cataloged. So with that, that's really important because we can't write a history if it's all oral tradition and lost and dry rotting in somebody's attic or basement. And I'm meeting so many families, like I have a daughter, I won't call her name, I have one I'm meeting this afternoon. I've worked with Selden Dix's daughter. I worked with Dorothy Hayes' niece. They all tell me these incredible stories and trust these sacred boxes that I will take care of them. And thus far, Stanford has received the, the concept of this without charge. That's what they do. They bring in collections, they preserve art, they preserve they have, I think they have MLK papers. This is what they do. And some people say, well, why didn't you take it to an HBCU and blah, 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 blah. So Stanford will preserve the work freely for us. And so I've given everyone an invitation. Some people have wondered my motive. My motive is, okay, well, you keep that stuff in your attic if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Or you have an opportunity for somebody to come by, pick it up, and you have a name and a catalog, annotation, you have your own numbers, you don't come underneath Cheryl Miller, it's not a, this is not a, I'm not the umbrella, mm-hmm. you, have your, you have your own note, you have your own archive, you have your own collection, and it's being preserved. And so, you know, we started with, I don't know, somewhere between 40 and 60 invitations, and it is sincere and it's real. And I think the ones that are really moving me are the ones of estates where the designer is dead. And I can't tell you, like my conversation with Dorothy Hayes's niece, she says, thank God for you. I inherited everything. My aunt left me everything. And I haven't had a clue what to do with it. It's sacred because, you know, I listen to estate members those who have inherited, I hear the stories of, you know, my dad, my aunt, thank God <laughs> it's not going to be lost. I don't have to toss it out. <laughs> you know, I had no idea what I was going to do with this. And so it's really an honor to work with the families who tell me their oral traditions and give me their boxes of goodies. And there's all kinds of things. <laughs> there are all kinds of things the, that we have a culture of. See, I've been at this since I was 17. And we have this culture of saving things 
in case something big happens. <laughs> okay. In case mm-hmm. somebody gets discovered or or it's hidden or lost. Who knew footnote on the back of a match cover? Right? And these boxes are full of these things for a rainy day. Oh my God, where you talk about where are the black designers? <laughs> They're full of, oh my God, I gotta save this for a rainy day in case it just in case. Mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of talking to families, working with Stanford to pick up the collections, sampling the collections. They come in, you know, they come into a holding area. They have special, you know, buildings. And it's a process to bring these boxes in from everybody's attic. <laughs> and I've been telling you all, the ones that I've invited down in Land of Living, open your file, open your collection, Maurice, open your collection. You have an invitation. Open it. Yeah. So that means fill out the papers, go through it, and start it. Meaning like you've got transcripts, you've got all kinds of notes from when you started this, and you you remain an archivist to your collection. You don't have to put anything new in it. You know, you own all your rights and all of that. And so it's an honor. I'm telling all of my younger scholars, if I've invited you, Fill out the papers and start. You don't have to put your current work in because you're working with it. Put put your stuff in from college. Put your thoughts in. Your pay, what did you write? What did you? Where are your diaries? You know that kind of thing. It's not for me. It's not for you. It's for the next generation that'll come and needs to write about Revision Path. Well, if Revision Path doesn't have a record of that and hasn't left footnotes, or you don't pay the website bill. It's all gone. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So preserving our stories so that we have content for the next future generations to do the scholarship that's required, that's really important before I die. And if you get a book or two out of me, well, good. <laughs> good. You'll get a book or two out of me. <laughs> all right. They're forthcoming. But collecting content so that we move this out of oral traditions and storytelling into scholarship and into history books. You can't do it if you don't have the ingredients, Maurice. So that's a big portion of my work. And writing the most intriguing research I discover. And don't ask me, just wait. (laughs) (laughs) But I have found some intriguing research that, answers my primary questions for us all. So I'm writing that and, and working out where that will be published and how that will be published. I'm not anxious for publishing. I'm anxious to make sure that we have what's necessary to publish. Yeah. There's no agenda to that, and nobody's making any money on that, so we don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look, yeah, I have, I have friends and foes, and Friends and foes worry Cheryl Miller making anything. Cheryl Miller, listen, I'm waiting for the MacArthur man. <laughs> oh, I hear I you. Yeah. I haven't received a dime, you hear me? Not a dime for over 50 years of work. Waiting on you the know. genius grant. Yeah, I'm waiting on the genius. I pray on it every day. Like, <laughs> I do because, and these things are for the young at heart. You know, all these awards and things. It's like, oh, well, you know, we're going to give this award because it's like, art collecting. I've learned some stuff about fine art too. Well, we'll collect by low when they're young, they've got performance. 
we collect and buy cheap now <laughs> because we know that they're going to be producing for 30, 40 years. We're not going to give her that. She's going to be good for 10 years. <laughs> this should be gone to glory. No, but I, I, I haven't monetized. There isn't anything. There isn't anything. Monetization, if you will, mm-hmm. of this advocacy. Man, I don't even have a T-shirt. <laughs> I don't have a baseball hat, no merch, no nothing. Okay. It's been 100% advocacy because scholarship I've learned, and in your work, statistics, the two together, the two sides of a coin, just marching and picketing, and I'm a civil rights girl. All of that brings awareness, but what has turned, what has moved the needle in my life is one thesis, one document of footnotes. Mm-hmm. Cheryl Miller's a footnote lady. And I wrote one piece, and here we are. And so I believe in designers who write. I believe in scholarship. And there were years that I wondered how and why <laughs> I went to seminary. You know, I'm a theologian. And I was running the studio in New York, and Union Theological became my client. And I started part-time, and oh, that's a whole nother story. Me, me in seminary is a whole nother story. But I got led into theological work. And when I got led, theological work is not religious work. And so when I got into the process, I learned things that I use now. And I would say that I've created a genre of design social justice Oh, you study with Dolores Williams and the works and likes of Cornell West in and out of the hall, the alcoves <laughs> and James Cohen. And you, you walk through some liberation theology, you walk through some social justice and change pedagogy, your tools will sharpen to slay the dragon. Mm-hmm. And then union does not pride itself on making ministers. I mean, you can walk out and be a minister if you want with an MDiv, but you're trained in dynamic levels of critical thinking, research, development of scholarship, and the recording of history. And I got led in to be trained. And I did not need, you know, when I wanted to go to grad school again, you know, I went, of course it makes sense. So you got a master's, go get a PhD. Well, PhD in art, unless you're doing art history, the master's from Pratt was terminal for anything I needed to do, even to teach. And Union wouldn't let me get a PhD in any form of any branch of what they had theologically because I didn't come up that route of a BA, a graduate degree, all of that. So getting a master's of divinity yet put me in to what it is that is dynamic for me now. I see things that people don't see. I answer questions that people don't even think to answer. And that comes, and I document, create footnotes and scholarship. My work is sound. And that came from being theologically trained. They train you, sharpen your knife to be able to cut prime rib with your, with your eyes closed. <laughs> it's, it's, and there were days like, what in the world? I'm doing this. I'm running Cheryl Miller Design downtown. What am I doing up here with all these intellects? But I had learned uh, the importance. I had leaned into my academic coach with the thesis 
Leslie King Hammond was, she was a PhD from John Hopkins. And I met her when, you know, my life story, my dad died. I couldn't go back to RISD and I ended up Micah. She was an adjunct African history, one, if not the first black professor at Micah 50 some odd years ago. You know, there I was grieving and, you know, the dean put her in my care, put me in her care. Here, take care of this child. She's supposed to be in Providence. Her father died. Now she's in Baltimore. <laughs> take care of her. And she was a newly minted PhD, a now acclaimed emeritus in her own right, of course, Dr. Leslie Kingham. She was my coach. Everybody asked me, sure, you got a mentor? No, I had no design mentor. Nobody took interest. I've always had Leslie. I've had writing coaches. I've had some of the best editors to take care of my work, to take care of my writing. Leslie inspired me to be a scholar. I said, oh, this is more than doing a book report. She guided me. It was rigorous. And she guided me through the infamous Pratt thesis. And we all know what that thesis has done in our lives. I was charged with Cheryl, the chair of the design department of Pratt, says, you can't do a design project to graduate out of this program. I don't know what he told anybody else. All I know is... A. Tom Manassi had a studio in Lincoln Plaza, and, you know, we all had senior reviews. What are you doing for your thesis? We all had appointments. I'll never forget it. I went upstairs. He was in a loft across the street from Lincoln, Pla- Lincoln Center. And uh, God rest his soul. He said, Cheryl, we've talked about you. You can't do a design project for your thesis. I said, I'm in design school. I'm in graduate school. <laughs> I, I can't do a thesis. Come on. No. And he gave me a charge. He said, we want you to make a contribution to the industry. Well, I just took a deep breath and I knew what it meant. I knew exactly what it meant. I left his office. I got down and this is back in the day. You know, it was no cell phone. I went over to the, and you used to have little calling cards. I went over to the pay phone on the corner and I called Leslie. I said, Dr. King, I said, Pratt's not letting me graduate with a design project. I got to write my way through this. Will you be my coach? Thus birthed transcending the problems of the black graphic designer to success in the marketplace. Starting with Cheryl Miller. How about that? <laughs> starting, with, starting with Cheryl Miller. So I've always been a writer. People don't know I was recruited to RISD and I was also invited to Wellesley. So I had a choice. Go to RISD for when I graduated high school after Martin Luther King was assassinated. We were in a season of reparation, and all the Ivy League schools and New England schools came down to all of the urban towns. And they came to New York, they came to Philadelphia, they came to D.C. They wanted, you know, they scooped up most likely to succeed SAT scores. We all got, everybody got invited to go to college, or at least to apply. And so I was invited to RISD, and I was invited to Wellesley, English Lit and Writing. And I always say now, well... I went to RISD, ended up a, ended up a writer, and I got something I got something to write about. <laughs> so I got trained. I got trained in scholarship and design and art and design and its equalities and inequalities is my topic of conversation. So graduate degree number one gives me something to write about, and graduate degree number two has given me the skill set to to do it. And so. So we lean into that. And that's how this has happened. Because I will tell you, 
what I'm doing now, the only thing that being a designer and being having gone to all the design schools and all of that, you know, just Google it, <laughs> you know. The only thing that that has done for me in my work has identified the problem and gives me my content for my purpose for what I write for. So I lean theological work as being trained as a scholar. It has equipped me in ways that design school could never. And I just think about those years of, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I in seminary? And I got Sean Miller down town going. I got AIGA. I got all this stuff that's now in articles and so forth and so on. And I'm like, why I was there was to prepare me for this moment that keeps me relevant and pertinent. I write the solutions to the injustices that I see and I create scholarship. And the only other thing that turns the needle like that is statistics. When you back it up with your type work, well, 2% of this and 3% of this and 4% of this and oh, but back that up with some footnotes, this, that, and the other. Then it's like, it's like you got your deposition for, for your court case. Short of that, you know, it's like a whole bunch of people complaining and making noise. <laughs> you mentioned, well, first of all, you mentioned a couple of things I'd love to, to touch on. One thing that you said about Stanford mm. and, and Cooper Union, which mm. I thought was interesting because I got a similar criticism when some of the revision path episodes got inducted into the Smithsonian. Like people were writing and they were like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you go to HBCU? You went to Morehouse. Why didn't, why did Morehouse take it? I was like, well, Morehouse, first of all, doesn't, I don't think they even have an archive or something like that with design. And I already had a relationship with one of the curators at the Smithsonian. Like it was a four year sort of thing. That's interesting though, that you would get that sort of criticism about that. I mean, when you first came on revision path, I remember like I saw the pictures of you boxing up the stuff and the folks from Stanford coming over and taking pictures and everything. Yeah. Um, that's just, well, that, that's a weird criticism to have gotten. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a lot, but it sits in the back of people's, you know, like, do I dare ask her? Well, the thing about it is preserving art costs money. It costs money, the archival process. So if someone is going to say, we're going to care in perpetuity, for all the artwork that you bring in and make sure it's annotated and credited and made available. And uh, listen, you go work with that. (laughs) I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Now, speaking of those, you know, five years or so since you were first on revision path, a lot has happened. I mean, you've had, I don't think I've ever seen a designer have such a, award tour, a victory lap. I don't know what to call it, but you have had a number of accolades since then. Uh, Of course, you mentioned your professorships. You mentioned the collections at Stanford at Cooper Union. There's also your AIGA medal, your honorary doctorates, (laughs) you know, one from uh, VCFA in 2021, one from Micah and RISD from both of those in 2022. I mean, this has to be a, a tremendous validation of your work and your career. Like, how does that make you feel? I'm humbled and I'm honored. And honestly, I'm grateful that I'm alive to see it happen. Like the gospel song, I'm alive to see it happen, Maurice. And to have achieved three design awards of our industry, you know, the Cooper Hewitt Visionary, the AIGA, and the one that touched me in an interesting spot 
and I, maybe it's because I'm a New York designer, was being inducted into, it's the one club, but it's the old school advertising Madison Avenue club. Mm-hmm. Being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay. I'm like, I have delayed but not denied. And God's been faithful that in the midnight hour, how much work I've done for our community that no one knows. I'm appreciative that I'm alive, Maurice, and I'm still vibrant so that I can use it. Okay, so all of these awards and things, I'm not retiring and I'm not expiring. I'm on the other side of this history, but it's opening up doors for me to continue to do my work and to correct the wrongs that I see. And it's opening doors that otherwise would have remained shut. So they're honors, hard, hard earned. Someone posted that on a LinkedIn. I was getting just, you know, just being peppered with acknowledgments and well-deserved, long overdue. But somebody said hard earned and on LinkedIn. And I said, glory. (laughs) 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 And and the first one I was with, I'm circuit era Debbie Allen. You know, and if you heard my reflection remarks receiving AIGA the night before, she'd earned the revered award and she was wearing red. And I decided I was going to wear red, stand with her, right? And these are lifetime, hard earned acknowledgements. And I always tell folks, don't get it twisted. I'm not an overnight success, overnight success that took 50 years, Maurice. And I'm not above the law, okay? I don't want anybody to go through what I've been through. So you can't do this if you haven't had your own measure. You can't work like I work if you haven't had your own measure of challenge, pain, suffering, disappointment at the hand of this industry. And I couldn't lay my life down like this if I had if it hadn't touched my door. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I've had my measure. I'm not above the law. And it's been hard earned. And what it does now is gives me, for those who want me, say, I'm on invitation only now. Invitation only is, there are a lot of things that are going on now that I'm not invited to the table. Well, I don't have to be invited to everything. But the ones who invite me really, really want transformation and not performance. You don't call me if you really don't want to change your situation. Mm. So that's a design model. Less is more. I don't have to be everywhere because I don't trust everywhere to take care of my heart. Hello. And with that said, every place that's acknowledging, everyone that's inviting me, they really want me. And for what I've been through, all of the horror of disappointment and rejection, why would I want to beat my head against performative projects where you just want my name right i don't need that maurice and especially on this side of history i can get more done i can get more done with people that want me that really want transformation i get more done in one year than most people can get done in 10 (laughs) you call sharon miller you want to get done call sharon miller Mm -hmm. okay you want to look like you want to look like you're getting it done she's not the one yeah (laughs) Because I'm really going to do it. 
So don't call me unless you really want to hear it. You really want to do it because I've always been truthful to this. Yeah. I mean, I would wager, you know, your years of experience definitely has given you a sharp eye for discerning that, you know? Oh, God. Yes. I can tell performative requests a mile away. Yeah. (laughs) Starts with the ones that don't ask me. I'm like, oh, I see you. (laughs) (laughs) I see you. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not even on that distribution list. Okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I feel like we're sharing an inside joke with that, but I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it doesn't mean I have to be everywhere. Yeah. It doesn't. It's just that where I am are in genuine places Mm -hmm. that want growth. Mm -hmm. Like I shout out university of Texas, Austin design. Listen, I have to shout out to them. They had just three alumni write a letter, just three. And they've been transforming. They didn't have to have board meetings and this, that, and the other. (laughs) I came for a residency and they said, invited me to stay. And would you like to create a class? And I said, yep, I would be honored. You will have to ask them what's it been like inviting Cheryl Miller to the faculty. Same thing. And I honor that. They really mean business. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good school. It's a great design school. Okay. Heading up the ranks. Okay. And a part of it is it's reaching and embracing and being sincere to a diverse design community. And they said, Cheryl Miller, you got something you'd like to share? And I said, you better believe it. And I got this crazy class. That's, it keeps me crazy busy decolonizing graphic design from a black perspective. It's not black history. is <laughs> not doing black history. Not like that. This is, I have decolonized the entire canon. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God. And the point of the class is that a black perspective is my perspective. It's, I set the example of how to do it, how to take a one number one week one and the basic, canonical history goes all the way down till you get to Christmas, depending on your school. I go through each era and I show you how I decolonize the modernist perspective. But the prompts and the rehearsal back is, well, where do you come from? What's beyond this modernist canon? So this one class, it already, I won an award from Howard with it. I've taught it at Roger Williams. I teach it at Howard. I teach it at University of Texas, and it's the platform, I say platform because it's the lectures that undergird two classes that I'm teaching at Art Center. And so Art Center, I teach communication design with, I'm a co-professor, we teach publication design, but the prompts for the course, you know, I'm a publication designer. So, so we're teaching the craft of publication design, but the books that are being produced are not modernist solutions. <laughs> it's like, okay, so where, you, where do you come from? What are you bringing to the conversation of the book you're designing? And I mean, it's intriguing. And I've been co-teacher. I'm, I also teach grad school there. And what I'm finding, uh, I teach the um, capstone thesis graduate course. I'm a co-professor there. And I did that also at Leslie. People are asking me to teach capstone thesis. Well, who better knows how to write a thesis than Cheryl Miller? 
So to be a professor of thesis capstone books, and I come and partner with those professors that are been, you know, well-oiled machines, the, the crit that we go through, it's my training <laughs> how to do a thesis. You know, I'm like, I've got a renowned thesis. It's crazy. One thesis, and here we are. Cheryl Miller can do a thesis. <laughs> and so Cheryl Miller can teach you how to do a thesis. I'm teaching senior and graduate capstone thesis research and development. Now at Howard, which is exciting, <laughs> exciting is that they wanted me to teach that class. And so I think it's two years. Have I been with them two or three years? I'm not sure. Either two or three, whichever one. The first two, I've taught that basic class two semesters. And then they asked me, can you do a part two? I'm like, a part two or the part one? And then I won an award. Last year, I was so honored. I got adjunct award Felicia Vashad, one of her first awards as dean mm-hmm. for this course. I'm like, here goes my work again. Right. So the course is unique. And it's transformative. And so they asked me what I do part two. And so part two at Howard is, I do believe it's one of a kind. I mean, I never say I'm the only. I will always say one of the first. But I'm teaching the history of black graphic design at Howard University. Part two of the design one that I teach in the fall. So part one is decolonizing graphic design from a black perspective, which is how to rework the canon based how do we get new stories that's part one and part two is strictly the history of black graphic design and i follow the canonical errors but i don't talk about any white designers at all and without a textbook how about that (laughs) because we're still waiting for textbooks (laughs) yeah and it's the first university college three credit class Strictly the history of black graphic design. Okay. And so I've created my syllabus. I've got my lectures. I've got my content. The first class is extremely popular. And we are working with University of Texas to make it e-learning so that I'm hoping we've had, we prototyped it with a few professors last summer. And I'm hoping that it will help as continued education for my colleagues to learn how to expand their it's inspiration of how I expand the traditional modernist canonical syllabus. And it's a popular class and it's the basis for everything I'm doing. I, I think that it's the only way that you can get the class is either you take it from me or we wait on university of Texas to make it. I've got to keep it in an academic environment. So I don't, I'm not doing it, you know, like, streaming and all that kind of thing. It's it's going to be fully accredited and you can get a badge and all that. So we're working on getting it so that people can take it. But if we've been fortunate enough to have one another in a class, then you've taken it with me. And I'm taking as many university engagements that will work with me this way. And I'm very busy during the day. Mondays are my hardest days. And Inviting me to do this means that you are also working out what's happening in design pedagogy and curriculum and education. So I have to shout out to Howard, UT, and Art Center 
they are zooming me in and they're working with it. Okay. So working with canvas and blackboard and zooming me into the classroom and, you know, these hybrid kinds of tech situations is opening up a world of knowledge-based wisdom, not only Cheryl Miller, but it's pandemic has put us into this place and I have grown in this space. And so are institutions that are willing to work that out with not only, but content experts from around the world. And it's exciting. And I would say that schools should not frustrate themselves. And when we talk about looking at how we're coming out of pandemic, listen, I tell my students, the ones that I teach at uh, my other class at UT is branding for diversity. I tell them all the time and the graduates preparing the portfolios and things. I said, you better put on your, I said, put some zoom screenshots on. I said, when you are presenting, these are aggressive design classes, Maurice. And when you're presenting, this means that you can design globally. You can be a design leader globally. You can manage how to be virtual, how to be remote, how to be global. I said, it's a skill set now. We're just not landlocked to walking around New York with black portfolios from corner to corner. So Gerald Miller has taken advantage of the pandemic and those that have heard the cry to diversify. And so these schools have wanted me and I want them. And they have blessed me and taken care of me in these years of mine now. And um, I have space for you know, a couple more universities, but they have to be patient with me. Like I said, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed. I know that I've reached out. We have a campus here where I live, University of Connecticut. And so we're, we're looking at that. But I will work with this with whoever will work with me. And um, the two places that you want me, I don't have to teach typography and this, that, the other. I don't have to do all that. You want me for what I do. Okay, so the decolonizing graphic design from a black perspective, you want me to teach that. It's a writing class. The prompts are writing. But I'll tell you one thing that has stirred my heart is when I teach this class at Howard, the way my scholars write the papers to the same prompts, Maurice, they help me get up every day because they are appalled that our history is not included in the main canonical story of mm -hmm. North American graphic design. Their papers are unapologetic and they keep me going. Like, oh my God, my dear, I will labor through this one more year just to make sure you have a history. So my hardest day, you asked me a pre, what's a day like for Cheryl Miller? Let's take the first day is a month. Monday is my hardest. I teach 12 hours straight. I get up, I'm online with Howard at nine o'clock for three hours. I take a break. Then I move across the time zone, across the country. So I'm Eastern Standard Time. I start at nine. I'm with them for three hours. We lecture, we dialogue, we work out. We really work out on the content. Then my Texas class starts their time, two o'clock, three o'clock. And I'm there to six o'clock, three hours with them. So two to five central time, three to six, my time. I take a little break. Then I head to California 
their two o'clock is my five o'clock. I have some transition time. Sometimes I'm early or late, depending on which way my Texas class goes. And I'm online. That's a five-hour class. My start, my class starts all over again. My day starts all over day. All wow. over again. It's a five-hour class that they go to at two o'clock, and it's over at seven. Okay. And so I really have to shout out to the team there, the tech team. I zoom in, review the work. We're teaching publication design with a different spin. We're working that Zoom, InDesign, everything. I'm telling you, it's really an aggressive art center class for five hours. I start again. They come in fresh at two, from two to seven. And I clock in five or six o'clock and I work till 10 o'clock. I put in another five hours. So my family helps me and everybody makes sure that, you know, I get water. I get water, Maurice. I get water. I get a glass of water. I get a bio break. I get dinner. And I just keep moving. I keep moving. So my Mondays are my hardest days. The rest of my schedule, I write. I allow interviews. I do interviews. I still am. My door is still open. I'm here today with any popularity or notoriety because I never say no to the young designers. So if you catch me, I do portfolio reviews. People want to stop by my, my LinkedIn messenger or my Instagram messenger all the time. You know, Miss Miller, thank you for everything. Can I talk to you? I talk to everybody, Maurice. I still do. I can't not. I'm totally accessible all the time, which I think is the secret ingredient I would say if there's any secret potion to Cheryl Miller, I've been accessible. I don't care who you are. You want to talk to me? I'll talk to you. Because nobody ever wanted to talk to me, Maurice. And that's it. Nobody ever wanted to talk to me, not really. And so I'm like, well, if you want to talk to me, I'll talk to you. And so young scholars, young designers, I have a motto. If you see me on Instagram or you see me on LinkedIn and the green light is on, that means I have time to talk to you. I said, I don't even make an appointment. I said, you know, the way pandemic and strange diseases and everything gets us, I might not be here. If you see my green light, you better catch me right now. I'm a right now lady. <laughs> do, it, do it now. And so every day somebody texts me, Ms. Miller, can you talk? I'm like, yep, I surely can. So I still do portfolio. I still do portfolio reviews, interviews. Everybody wants a little, you know, a quote or something for their thesis. I'm still at it. And I don't burn out within this. I'm built for this. So this is my training. So I know when to stop. I know when to rest. I do not work on the weekends. I do not work on Sundays. So to run a marathon, you have to know where to take your Gatorade breaks. And I've never been in a situation where I have burned out or lost my way emotionally, spiritually, breakdown, nothing. I've learned early my capacity my boundaries. I rest a lot. I take on Tuesdays. I don't do anything after a Monday like that. I don't do it. I go to the gym, leave me alone. I got a couch corner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and then I'm back on it. I can get more done in two days than most people get to get done in two weeks. The key is rest and pacing yourself. The key is rest. Don't go past being tired. Stop. Okay. And so I learned that running a business in New York, I'm like, my door, I clients crazy. 
but I guess I learned to run the race there in New York. I learned how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, glory to God, I've got divine health. I have, except for a le- left cranky knee, I'm on no medicine, nothing. <laughs> and acid every now and again. <laughs> but no pills, nothing. Yeah. And so I've learned the art of self care in running Destiny's journey. And my family plays a big part of that. My family plays a big part of that. I have a blessed marriage. Phil is enjoying all of this with me. We started when we were teenagers. You know? Yeah, I, I see the pictures on Instagram. Y'all are living yeah. it up. <laughs> we, yeah, it's like, Cheryl, where's the next Gala Award? You know, and he's, he's, he's like, you know, I'll take you. So it's like, Cheryl, I'll take you. And I'm like, okay. So the invitation comes with Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes with Philip, okay? And what's interesting, I've got some interesting photos that I will release. When we were at, um, when I went to RISD freshman mm-hmm. year, there was a young lady, freshman. I don't know what re- happened with her, but because, you know, I left out after freshman year. and But she came up there to study photography. And he came up to visit me one weekend. And we had these, what's civil rights kids? I had this bush. And um, she took these love affair photos of Phil and myself. And we both had these well-coiffed precision bushes. You know, it's like, Cheryl, how'd you do that? I'm like, listen, I vinegared up my hair. Listen, I did what I had to do to be in the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to be left. I'm not going to be left. Okay. So I worked that out. Okay. (laughs) And so when we got invited to come to RISD, I said, you know what? I'm going to entertain my community. I said, let me show let me, let me post some militant Angela Davis freshman shots of Cheryl going to risky freshman year. <laughs> and so he's been with me the whole way. And it is a pleasure. We just did a cameo last week, a week before I woke up and I said, RISD was inviting folks to come up to their senior show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we live two hours from Providence, you know, that's nothing. So I said, Phil, let's, I want to go up to the senior show, like a cameo. Can you, drive me up to, <laughs> can you drive me up to Providence? He said, really? I said, well, what else are we going to do? We're just going to sit here and watch CNN and these crazy people on television. So he said, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he says, sure. So we, we, jumped in the, we jumped in the truck and he took me to Providence and saw the show, which is, oh, my God, Risdy Design. Oh, my God. Just go to Instagram and look it up. Oh, my God. Eye candy. If I say something is design candy, trust me. Eye candy, design candy. Oh my God. Oh my God. And so I was just warm my heart. We were up there with Gary Mansion, is where the gallery is, and there's a patio. Mm-hmm. When you walk out and overlooks Providence. And, you know, I sat there and took a familiar picture with him. I'm like, you remember when we were kids, we took this picture from this venue, you know, from this not knowing where life would lead us. So he's been with me. And so we and the kids are it was a good decision for me to leave New York City with the practice and concentrate on them. I have good kids. Oh, my God. They're they're such a blessing. And it's so funny as they were coming along when if they misbehaved or anything, I would always say, I want you to know I was a famous designer and now I'm on this pickup line with you people. (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, I'm a famous designer and now I'm in kindergarten. <laughs> and so that's been, you know, I chuckle with them over the course of raising them, right? And so now with all the awards, we have a group text. And I said, I told you I was a famous designer. And I, but I, more than anything in the whole wide world, I wanted to be with you all. So, you know, I'm a soccer mom. I'm a basketball mom. I'm a baseball mom. And never looked back about the design business. But I always wrote, phone rang constantly. You called me. Oh, my God. Can I have a copy of the thesis? Can I have a copy of the thesis? I have a copy of the thesis. Oh, my God. My phone would has never stopped ringing because of the thesis. Now I'm with the awards. They come with me. They went to RISD with me. Got a chance. I'm so proud of they treated us so well. I'm so proud of President Crystal Williams, the 18th president of Rhode Island School of Design, first African-American president of uh, top rank art school. They just treated us so well and the kids were so proud and they go like, yeah, ma, we know you are a famous designer. (laughs) 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 So would I wanted to have missed all of that for the sake of these crazy people in the industry slaying dragons? No. 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 I had my teenage prom date is my husband and we have two kids that have grown up to do their thing and well, and they know that I was telling the truth. Your mother mm-hmm. was a famous designer. <laughs> and now she's in kindergarten with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blessing to be here. So it's a blessing to be alive because a lot of these peers of mine, dead and gone, they're getting these awards posthumously. That's no fun. I mean, thank you for the acknowledgement, but they're dead and gone. I gave Nicole. She doesn't have to do it anymore, but I gave her, that's my daughter. I said, Nicole, anybody from New York calls you and wants to give your mother an award and I'm dead, don't go get it unless it's monetized. (laughs) (laughs) You had a chance to do it when she was alive and you didn't. I'm not coming to New York unless there's money assigned to it (laughs) Mm -hmm. for her, for her state, her, her state. So we joke about it, but I'm proud of them. They're proud of me. And I balanced it, but I work hard. When I work, I work hard. And when I play, I play hard. <laughs> okay. So there you go. You got another question? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are, you're everywhere. You're super active on social media. Mm-hmm. I see you even have a collection of NFTs. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about, you know, sort of two things. One, where do you sort of see the future of design with all these sort of new technological advances? Okay. And and then secondly, what impact do you think social media is going to have on design? Okay. Well, first and foremost, a lot of what I see tomorrow that is happening today comes from the experience of something very simple. I started in this business at the age of 17, 18 years old, and they invented the magic marker. Listen to me carefully. I say this all the time. I entered into the business when they discovered the magic marker. There were eight in a box, and the name of it was Magic Marker. Up until then, which was transitional, I was trained doing layouts with gouache, a wooden teeth square, and charcoal, and speedball ink. If I resisted magic markers 
and said, oh, my God, I got to have my gouache. I wouldn't be here today. I entered the television industry when everybody interviews me about BET and all of that. Right. Right. When and I always put these markers so people can locate time in history. Gail King. I worked in a television station, WTOP TV, Post Newsweek, Channel 9, was my first design job when I graduated from MICA and moved back to Washington, and Phil and I had just gotten married. Gail King was a news trainee, news program upstairs in the news department, and Oprah was in Baltimore. And everything was done in film. And in the art department, we did old school art cards in color and you know, the art department, we'd have to make the news graphics, the promo titling, the whole thing, all right? And, you know, we had stands where the cameras would roll up onto the art. The station had its first animation camera was film. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in videotape, this new, oh my God, videotape. And so what happened in that transition period in Washington, they started putting production companies around the area of the television stations, right over the key bridge, they had some color video production houses because everything was film. So all of the graphics, all of the news, everything came in, had to be in by, to make the five o'clock or six o'clock news. All the film had to be developed and edited and cut and whatever's going to happen. The whole place was film, Maurice. And the new technology. So when I met Bob Johnson, he was, trying to figure out BET, mm-hmm. all right? And which is, you know, you, you hear me in that prototype story. I love it, all right? But he asked me, would I work out the BET star and prototype TV cards? And after we'd had this conversation about his idea, <laughs> okay, it's a crazy story. And I'm like, all right, this is before he incorporated, he's working out the idea. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I met him in the prototype stage. So he was at the station and trying to sell this concept. <laughs> okay, and he says, any black designers around here? And they sent him down to me. <laughs> okay. All to say that in that conversation, I don't want to go over that conversation because it's all over the internet. He said, will you go over, will you art direct my prototype show? No, it's take the BET logo card and the, what we call lower thirds and all of that. Can we go? Because we're going to do it in video. We're not going to do it in film. And so my, my conversation here is that, well, if I stayed there figuring out how to do lower thirds and graphics with film and didn't learn Chiron and digital and video, <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. Video and that production and those production houses that were lined up in Virginia, okay, and if the TV stations were holding on to film, where would we be today? And so I've always been in this transitional one foot in and one foot out. Well, let me tell you, by the time I got to New York, just look at your history of the Macintosh. New York City, the Macintosh wiped out God knows how many businesses. I don't mm. mean small businesses, genre of business. So the first thing that really impacted the business at large, the design industry in New York City, was they began to bundle PageMaker on HP computers. And people started, well, I can do my own brochure. And I've said, oh, Jesus, look at this. Well, look at what's happening. Then, you know, I had Danita and Treyer. You know, it, you'll see them on these award tapes and stuff. You know, Danita was, I said, Danita, Danita Albert, one of my art directors. I said, listen, we're going to, 
I got to keep up with this. Whatever this is, we got to do it. And said, I bring the machines in. In other words, I sign my name to the leases, buy all the programs and stuff. I don't have time to go figure this stuff out. Go figure it out. And we got to pull up these drafting tables and look, the speed ball turned to the rapidograph into the uniball. Man, I have been through some technology. Yeah. But when this Macintosh, Quark Express won, and Adobe and Photoshop, when they bundled this stuff, okay, well, they didn't bundle. You had to buy it. The stuff was expensive. And I had to buy, I had my own snap camera and because I had a firm. It wasn't freelance. It was, I had a firm. And that's why I have logo sheets and stuff. Okay. You know, if you didn't have a camera, you couldn't do this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have crafted logo sheets that are flying all over because I don't know about anybody else, but Sharon Miller had a, you know, unless you were on a job and you were freelancing and hustling stats after you worked, you know, you needed a camera. There was no Adobe Illustrator skewing and all of that. This is Herb Lubell and Tom, Tom Carnese, Tony Despina craft, crafting by hand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there were whole businesses for this and type typesetting was, you know, my office was full of type catalogs. So you had type houses that only did headline type. You had type, you had type houses that did body type. You had retouch, retouching, retouchers. You had stat houses for negatives. Okay. So everything the computer did was a business inclusive of the deliveries, the deliveries. So you had to move camera ready art from uptown, midtown, where the studios were, to the printers downtown. Okay, so the delivery services. This thing wiped out New York City. Quark Express, Macintosh, Adobe Illustrator, and Photoshop, and those who were too cheap to figure it out, how to pay for all of that, took PageMaker on HP, and it went into DIY, do-it-yourself. All those business folded, and I just don't mean they see change. You know what a sea change is? Mm-hmm. A, a sea change is different than a paradigm shift. A sea change is it's gone. It's gone. Never to return. And I saw this and I said, oh, and the delivery service, the internet, AOL and the internet was flying printing files. No more bikes running. The only thing moving now on bikes in New York City is Uber Eats. <laughs> I saw these businesses go if you could not keep up and the resistance. Okay. Well, you can resist if you want. And listen, I used to visit Tony Despina's office downtown and I was a regular go by and visit. And you can see Douglas Davis has a documentary, a retirement celebration documentary on Tony. You can find it on YouTube. And he shows you old school Tom Carnese, Herb Ballen, all of that, that crafting. He had a well-tuned studio and you had to have equipment for that stuff. I still have that equipment, man. We had to have ellipses and drafting tools and, oh, Jesus, all that stuff by hand. I still have it all packed away. Okay. I'm looking for a museum's installation. <laughs> okay. Charles Miller Design Studio still exists. Can you believe it? I saw Tony's shop pivot. He did not linger in holding on to speedballs 
speedball pens and then and ink and drafting to see there was a process of how you did this stuff. You drew it out, you had your tissues, and you had to have that camera. This thing hit New York City so fast. I went in there one day and he had number Macintosh. So what I'm sharing with you is University of Texas, I saw is starting a master's of AI. A master's program of AI next year is mm-hmm. gonna launch. MIT has a six week has a six week continuing ed. You resist this if you don't resist it if you want. Resist it. And see where you'll be. You'll be right there with Uber Eats. <laughs> you'll be right there with Uber Eats. All right. And I've been through too much technology to know. Don't resist. Learn it. And while you're learning it, they will figure out the copyright stuff. They will figure out the legality. You, they will figure out. But it's going to do you no good if this technology doesn't have some content experts. And so I'm like, learn it and figure out your code of ethics for using it and compete. Don't resist. Oh, you'll be on your bike riding around with Uber Eats still looking for pay stop deliveries to printers downtown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is it. I'm curious about NFTs. I have several collections on foundation. Philip is doing that part of my practice. I think there is something there. You know, you got to watch out for moving west for gold because the only ones that make gold are the ones who make the shovels. <laughs> the only ones who find gold out west are those who make the sell the shovels you know? <laughs> is it is there a there there but i won't know if there's a there there if i don't jump in the game so we've got a foundation collection i've got a collection up now for women's i think he's launching he put up one for there's some women's images yeah i get it yeah he's trained in phil's trained in blockchain for his business so we just keep it moving we just keep it moving i'm far from well, I can't say I'm just getting started, but <laughs> I'm into, I'm into <laughs> Cheryl Miller 2.0 or 3.0, 4.0, whatever it is. I'm curious. I, I haven't had time to I have some entree, but I haven't had time to work it out yet. But yeah. I'm I'm curious about teaching in the metaverse. And I, I do not jest when I think before it's all said and done, I can hologram into some space to teach. Hmm. The only proof of anything that I've said here that it's important, you'll always hear me say, design doesn't change. Technology does. It's not a thing about design that changes. Technology changes. And I'm a good designer. I'm a good designer. So if I want to be left behind, you know, I'll I'll go back with my magic markers. (laughs) I told you all of that to show you how much technology I have grown through. Right. And I was inspired as a kid. TV was brand new. George Alden moved down to Washington, D.C. to be with CBS when I was born. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up on art cards. And I've <laughs> always been able to be blessed enough to be able to keep up with the technology. When I say keep up is afford to afford the computers, to afford the programs, to afford the training. And so we're, we're just going to keep it going and inspiring young designers to compete. Yeah. So the answer to the question is Star Trek. We're out into, we're on an odyssey. Right. I can only tell. I can only tell you if you don't want to get lost, you better get your little continuing head. 
<laughs> or go to or go to YouTube University. I always love going to YouTube University. They'll yeah. teach you anything. <laughs> They'll teach you anything you want to know. That is so and true. That's so true. I also like the Verve Terrence Moline's group. They throw off their tips and they keep it moving in that group. Okay, so you want to learn some technology and what's going on. They are really working those programs and talking about Mid Journey and all these Dolly and Rainbow this and. But you have to show up to these things. You have to participate. You have to always be inquisitive and be excellent. Like Oprah says, you got to do the work. Yeah. Now, you and I have, have talked about some young designers that you have been been mentoring. You've talked about, or I've seen pictures, at least I know, but you and I have talked about Simon Sharway, Taylor Breathway. Oh. Mm. How has your mentoring been going? I mean, I know you're everywhere in terms of social media. And of course, like you said, you want to be on the metaverse, like in the real world here. How's your mentoring been going? Oh, well, listen, apples don't fall far from the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Apples don't fall far from the tree. They eat everyone that's in my tribe. They have their gifts. I think in my life, I've inspired them to touch their gift. And the proof that they are of of my tribe, they're all winning awards too. <laughs> you know, the family, family that prays together stays together. You know, so my tribe, they're award winning. They're doing the same thing. They stop by every now and again and say, Auntie, you know, they know don't don't call me abuela or nana or anything. So everybody knows to call me auntie. I just speak into their lives, hope and inspiration and to identify your gift. And I do have some tips though, Maurice, and they, they um, have been kind enough to regard uh, some of my wisdom and when applied, they get the same, the same results. So they're, they're, they are competitive designers. I've got so many of them, but what you can't do is write me and say, Cheryl, will I, will you be my mentor? That's not the way that works. (laughs) (laughs) Usually I see a giftedness and I think one of my favorite, both you, you mentioned Trey and Taylor. Trey, I love Trey. I love him dearly. And I love how he always remembers me. And, you know, he's the man of the hour and he will be the man of the hour. He, on several occasions, his YouTubes and his articles, he will tell you that he ran into my article. Mm-hmm. 1987. And most people run into the article, 1987, and they find me. They do everything they can do to find me. And if you've gone through all that trouble to find a vintage, he said he paid 60 bucks. He found it on eBay. <laughs> wow. Somebody gave, somebody gave it to him and then he found his own copy. I know I bought 200 of them. So I know 200 of them are around someplace. Um, <laughs> he found it. Someone gave it to him. He read it. He found me. I don't know how he found me, but back when I was raising the kids, I had a, a website. You know, you could write me on the website. And he said, Miss Miller, I got an idea. I said, mm-hmm. I always listen. I said, mm-hmm. You better. We all got ideas. I said, mm-hmm. Okay. He said, I found your article. I read your article. I have an idea. I said, mm-hmm. And he says, I want to make typefaces from the lettering on civil rights posters. I said, mm-hmm. He said, what do you think about that? Is that a good idea, Miss Miller? I paused. I said, and he quotes me pretty well. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, Trey, do it now. If you don't do it, somebody else will. 
I didn't have to tell him twice. And here we are. <laughs> I didn't have to tell him twice. And here we are. And anybody, see, this is what I tell everybody. You're not going to be the only one because you try to be the first one. <laughs> try to be the first one. Yeah. You're not going to be the only one. Don't you still go to McDonald's and look up and say, can I have a Coke, please? Well, we don't, we, we only have Pepsi. We take Pepsi. You don't you don't you go to FedEx and say can I have a Xerox and the camera machines back there? First name recognition. Mm-hmm. I will never be the only one, but I'm gonna be the first one. One of the first. I will never say only. You will always hear me say I'm one of the first. Because just when I have the audacity to say I'm the first, somebody else comes up and says, Well, you know, I was there before you, Miller. I'm like, Oh yeah, you were. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you gotta stay humble with it, but you gotta be the first one. One of the first to the application of your gift, your idea. That's your brilliance. And so I see people now trying to do that and then coming up with civil rights. So I said, man, don't imitate. <laughs> don't duplicate. Right. Create. Taylor? <laughs> Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. Listen, that little baby can design, you hear me? <laughs> She's my youngest. I met her in Texas. Now, I don't know the statistics. I don't keep up with it. But she must be one of the first, one of the first young black designers to have gotten as many grad school acceptances, top-ranked schools. And you'll have to interview her to ask her where she got accepted. But I'm not saying she's the only one. I don't know if she is the only one. She's the only one I know out of University of Texas Arts and Design that got grad school acceptances, top-ranked schools, and money. She's selected Pratt. She's got some intriguing work that she's going to be doing and finishing out. So you have to go interview her. And what was it like? I was her, one of her senior design teachers at in Texas. And so she was competitive. And boy, she was racking in those admissions and scholarships. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Simon? Oh, listen. I love Simon Charway. I met Simon Charway online. And one of the things that is so important to this work that I'm doing is that, and even there's a segment in Dory Tunstall's new book, Decolonizing Design. Mm-hmm. She's got a piece in there that talks about the importance of the place to start is to understand your indigenous origins it's a requirement yeah and i have researched i had a family issue you know i'm african-american but i'm also filipino-american and i'm west indian and i'm from dc i got this my backgrounds my zoom backgrounds my story everything you know i got a a multi what they call mgm multi-generational mixed and i was raised i was raised african-american but you know culturally i am Danish West Indian, and I'm African American from DC. I can hand dance. <laughs> but I, got four, I have four different grandparents, four different places. I'm Filipino from Cavite. So I've got a Filipino family, I have a West Indian family, I have an African American family, and I have a Native American family. So my grandfather was white and American Indian from Fauquier County. I, so in this story, I have one. African-American grandmother. My father's mother was African-American. 
And all of these people resolved at Howard and ended up in D.C. And I learned to hand dance and that's my story. <laughs> okay. But in that richness is I'm Danish West Indies. My grandmother is indigenous Danish West Indian and Ghanaian. And my research led me to finding Long Story, which you can buy my book. Black Coral is my memoir. That work needed to be done in my life before I could even begin to do the scholarship on design. And I have Ghanaian DNA, okay, that I needed to process. I, have a, I had a missing Filipino family that I needed to deal with. I had, you know, my mother came up looking 100% Filipino on Howard's campus. There was so much that needed to be dealt with in my origin, my heritage, my being born into this drama, okay, that Black Coral, you can get it on Amazon, was a lifetime work that I ended up publishing in 2013. And with that, I found my tribe and the origins of my Ghanaian DNA. And with that comes the authenticity of my African aesthetic from a Ghanaian. You have to know the slave trade. So I know the Ghanaian slave trade is my history. The colonizers, you know, the French and Martinique, and you know, they did the Dutch, the Portuguese. You know, I know my colonizers are the Danes. And I know my history is with the, with the Ghanaian kings. My DNA, I traveled all through the West Indies for, for, for years. Census records, census projects, studied Danish census records, putting together and answering the question, how in the world do I have Ghanaian DNA? It's from the slave trade. And so with that, I found my tribe and where they are in Accra. I have a cousin who, my great-grandmother's nephew, went back and became what they call installed. And he sojourned, sojourned back to Ghana, and he's a chief of the Virgin Islands. They installed him and met the lineage of all the tribal leaders. So I have all of these records and pictures of the tribe, which is, it's really genuine. I mean, it's, for, it's research. I'm hoping to go to Ghana. It'd be my second trip to Africa, but I'm, I'm hoping to go on a research trip to look at the decorative painting houses and things. I, I'm going, looking at the Ghanaian aesthetic. Hmm. And I met Simon online. He wanted my advice on his African Design Matters project. We began a conversation on Instagram. And I saw him, and while everybody's sleeping, I'd wake up and go to their conferences. You know, they're like seven, 12 hours. Yeah. So y'all sleeping, while y'all sleeping, you know, <laughs> I'm with the Ghanaian designers. And I'm hearing their agenda. I'm like, oh, oh, these Pan-African brothers and sisters, oh, they got, they got a manifesto. Mm -hmm. And while we sleeping, they're manifestoing. <laughs> right? So I saw him interface online, working hard to integrate his research into a North American discussion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's trying to meet us. He's working with AIGA. And so I finally said to him, I said, and I was fascinated with his work because I would get up and listen to them lecture and their conferences. And I said, Simon, the only way that you're going to break through with your research in North America, you've got to get it ratified. And the only way that I know to get what you're doing ratified is Yale. I did. I just said, Simon, go to Yale. I said, 
I can't tell you how to get to Yale, but you got <laughs> Professor Mafundaquai. You know him. He can tell you how to get to Yale. Use your network to get where you're going. All I can tell you is that I did what I had to do in that invitation of inspiring. I never say I'm anybody's mentor. Let him say it. I inspired him to reach. You got to ratify this work. And the only place I kind of think this fits is Yale grad school. And Mafundaquai can help you. I just live in Connecticut, so I can tell you the highway and the exit to get off. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> Yale isn't my school. Rizzi and Michael, they're my school. So, okay. I said, I said, I can just tell you the exit off of 85. Okay. But you got enough that try. And I didn't even say try. I said, do it. And all the way up to the last moment, he got accepted. We walked him through application, acceptance, the airplane ticket. We walked him through the whole thing. And so I said, when he got here, it was the week after the week after, two weeks maybe he'd been here. And it was summertime. He finally got here. I said, I said, Phil, would you take me up to Yale? I said, I want to meet Simon. I said, and I asked my son and give me, I said, he doesn't know what's going to hit him. I said, we got some coats around here. <laughs> He's in New England. He's never seen snow. I said, he's going to wake up and it's going to be, oh my God, we're the ancestors. We're the elders. <laughs> so, you know, guys put together, you know, a few sweaters and because he didn't know. So he's just going to wake up. And it's going to be frigid. Not that he couldn't get, uh, no, but you wake up and it's freezing. You know, what you going to do? So I said, brothers, give me some, give me some sweaters and some coats and Phil, can you take me to Yale? Mm-hmm. I um, found him. And he was so grateful to meet me. And then he says, he touched my heart. He touched my heart, Maurice. He said, will you take a picture with me? I took pictures out in front of where he was living. He said, Miss Miller, can you t- take a picture with me at the Yale sign? Welcome to Yale. I said, well, do you know where it is? He said, no. He said, but I got to have a picture. <laughs> what are you standing in front of? <laughs> Welcome to Yale. Welcome to Yale. <laughs> Oh, my God. And Philip was so patient. We drove around Yale's campus looking for this one sign that Simon wanted. And we finally, you know, one of these entranceway gate things to the campus. And he could not tell us on what corner, what street. And we drove all around Yale, which is a city school. You know, where's the sign that says, welcome to Yale? Well, we finally got it. He was so excited. You can see the picture on Instagram. And he was so excited to meet me. We stood out and he kept taking pictures. He just, he says, the elders won't believe it. That's what he kept saying. He says, the elders won't believe that I got here unless I take a picture. <laughs> unless I take a picture, welcome to Yale with you. And I'm like, okay, Simon. It took him three years to get here. You know, it started pandemic. He started reaching out. Everybody's online. He found me. I started going to this, their conferences and I'm like, mm, I get it. I get what you're doing. Mm, I see it. Mm. And Simon is just proclaiming and got his research. And I'm like, yeah, you're trying to cross over into an international space. And, you know, I'm like, I got it. You need to go to Yale, brother. (laughs) So from saying, from inspiring him, it took three years, the process of application, getting the work together through the interviews through the plane ticket, through the whole thing, through Professor Miller, can you meet me and stand in front of the sign? And 
forever grateful. And he knows I have Ghanaian DNA. So that's how we got, I'm like, for the elders, Simon, I don't, I know I don't look Ghanaian, but trust me, I know some Ghanaian art. I know Ghana. I know I got Ghana family. I got a chief. I know my chiefs. I know my story. We are craftsmen, artisans. We are, my tribe is, if you've seen the decorative coffin makers, mm -hmm. the Soa tribe, Accra Ghana is my tribe. And so I come natural. We're designers. We woodcutters, ship makers, and we build the decorative coffins of Ghana. And so when I start talking to you all about some African design, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's what I mean. That's what I mean about I got stories to tell that nobody else can tell. I got footnotes to make that nobody else can make. I'm not compiling footnotes. I'm creating these footnotes and I'm leaving them in places for somebody to write something, whatever you're writing. And Cheryl Miller said, well, if I said it, it's a footnote, it's a research and it's a proof. And my DNA says I'm Ghanaian. Okay. And Simon and I connected, the ancestors connected us. Okay. So that's the way the drum beats. <laughs> <laughs> At this stage of your career, how do you measure success? I mean, what does it what does it look like for you now with all of the the accolades and the awards and the prestige? Like what's success like now? Just remember me and acknowledge my friends and when my when the ones that I've poured into make success on their own that they remember. Like I do not talk about this famous thesis without acknowledging Dr. Leslie King Hammond. I read to talk about all of these awards that stem from one thesis without celebrating Dr. Leslie King Hammond was my academic coach and the scholar in my life that said, go get some skills. And I always tell y'all, well, when y'all have your big conferences and stuff, just make sure somebody got Miss Miller. <laughs> is, she, is she on the plane? Is she on the train? Somebody got her bag. Just remember me. Like I went to AIGA, I met Teresa Moses from mm -hmm. University Minneapolis. We were walking out of the main theater at one of the breaks, and she and her friends were going to dinner. And she turned to me and she said, Professor Miller, you want to come and go to dinner with us? And I kind of looked like, y'all don't want me coming to dinner with y'all. And she welcomed me. She said, come on, go to dinner with us. We're skipping the rest of this. We're going to go find dinner. <laughs> and that meant more to me in the world that she included me. I can't have gone through and have the passion for our community if I haven't been through the pit of hell with this industry. The only reason I do this is so that you all, any measure of it, you don't have to go through anything I went through. You don't want to go through what I went through. You don't want to go through Jim Crow trying to steal my portfolio and not giving anybody a chance. You don't want to go. I don't want to bore you through the civil rights era. So the only reason I'm accessible at all, but I don't want anybody, Maurice, you don't want to go through anything that I've gone through, not even a measure of it. So if there's anything I can do to help you not go through it, I'm going to do it because I'm not above the law. Is there something that you haven't done yet that you want to do? You know, I've thought about that. And the answer is not really. I've thought about, do I want to, you know, I want a branding project. Do I want a book? Do I want... When I really was performing and servicing, I ran hard for my clients. There were projects I really wanted. And I, I just 
knocked on those doors until I found the project. I worked for my portfolio and I did the best, the absolute best I could do in the area and the era of performance that anyone could do. And I say that because I came through pre-civil rights, civil rights, and post-civil rights era. And some of these anthologies and biographies and stuff I read online, like I'm not far from Thomas Miller. Thomas Miller has a clip I use in my lectures. You find him on history.org. I use him in my lecture. When I'm talking about corporate designers, A1, A1 number two, week two, symbols. <laughs> I, I got a... I got a YouTube university of him. He's 80 some odd years old. And I met his, he just got a posthumous AIGA medal. And I just met his daughter because he won the award the same year with me. Mm-hmm. But they got a clip on history.com. He's 82 years old. And the pain in his eyes, I felt and I knew. He said, before Goldshot Associates, he says, I'm, and his, you know, his voice was frail, but you could see it in his eyes. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to open a little place. He's talking about Chicago. I, and I wanted to open a little place and do, you know, like little brochures and logos. But no one would patronize me. And I saw it in his eyes. And he was awarded the medal for, I think, endurance or persistence or something like that. And when they were reading his bio and his, do- and his daughter was there, you know, his daughter was there to accept posthumously, my mind flashed back to that history.org clip. And I saw the pain in his eyes. And I said, Mr. Miller, I, I get it. I'll tell you, on this other side of this story, I have so many answers to stuff I was going through when I was younger. I'm like, where did that come from? Why am I doing this? Why, why is this so difficult? This, that, and the other. Here's an example. I won't call his name. Okay. Out of respect, because I don't know whether he's alive or not with us. But a gentleman on Dorothy Hayes' list. See, I'm young enough and old enough to be in New York at the same time. And many of those on the list I knew personally. One in particular, I won't call his name, had a studio downtown. And he called me one day. I knew him personally. And he said, Cheryl, I want to give you my studio. I'm like, what? <laughs> he says, yeah. He says, I, I want to give you my studio. I said, well, where are you going? He says, I'm, I'm leaving New York. He didn't give me any explanation. I didn't understand it. He said, have Philip run a truck and come down and take it all out of here. I said, are you sure? And he said, I want you to have this. In other words, maybe you can do something with this because I'm pulling out of New York. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, Wow. Okay. So Philip rented a truck. We went down and I pulled out this guy's studio. And sometimes depending on where I zoom, I have two plants. They were loft plants. I have one in my living room and one in my office. They're 40, 45 years old, these plants I took out of this gentleman's studio. Every time I see those plants, it reminds me of how difficult it was for us to make it in New York City. And I never understood why in the world he closed his business and pulled out of New York until I started working with the history and working with systemic racist practices and working on my research. I said, oh my God, none of us were scheduled to live. Mm. One of my favorite 
questions I answered. Why did Milton Glaser get all the black work? <laughs> that, was, that thing was driving me nuts. So Cheryl, you're going to figure that out. Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Hugh Masekela, all of these. Black, how do you get all the black work? And Dorothy Hayes' people are hanging all around. For me to realize, Cheryl, you were living in that. You were living in that era. And this is why your friend who's on Dorothy's list, who was in the show, why he called you up. You're a young kid. Okay. Next likely to succeed. He's just going to give you his stuff and pull out. I didn't realize that till I saw his name on the list. And then I dropped into history. And then I, I dropped into Jim Crow. I dropped into the canon. I dropped in. I said, and now none of them could, how far could they get? He gave me everything. Library, books, equipment, chairs, drafting tables. I picked it all up. Two plants that remind me of the story. They're, you know, one is in my office here. It must be eight feet tall. Of te- yeah, one of those chef liras. And then I have a ficus. It's gorgeous. It's very comfortable in my living room. About seven, eight feet tall. It was in his loft. See, this is the kind of stuff I live through. And you're not going to find a footnote unless I make it. Mm. I don't have time to compile footnotes. I have time to make footnotes. I just made you a footnote. Okay? I just made you a footnote. This whole conversation is a footnote. Anything I've said, recorded on it. You know the Chicago style? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole conversation is a footnote. So, success for me is that I live to see it happen. I live to see you all prosper. Congratulations on your 10 years. I listened to your anniversary. Thank you. You're doing what someone should have done for you, which is the key to this. You interviewed yourself. Somebody should have interviewed you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can, tell me something about this. Tell, Maurice, tell me something about this. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So this is it. You threw your own anniversary party. I'm like, no, somebody, I won't call names, should interview you. I don't do podcasts except, you know, I, I fill up a studio room. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not what I do. I don't make them. I, you, I'll talk. Don't, don't invite me if you don't want me to talk. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what I do. But I know who's doing them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So whoever's listening to this one, y'all should have interviewed him. And see, I'm crazy enough now. I'll say that. Y'all should have interviewed Maurice got to interview himself for 10 year victory. Okay. So guess what? I enjoyed your anniversary interview. Thank you. Thank you. If I had all that design show, I would have interviewed you. I would have known to interview you. I appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. I enjoyed the story. (laughs) I enjoyed. Thank you for having me for the 500. Thank you for 248. I know my number. I'm 248 and I'm in the Smithsonian. <laughs> I am proud of you. Okay. Apples don't fall far from the tree. And listen, I just shouted out. Somebody needs to, somebody with all that podcast show needs to interview you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. you've been quoted as saying, uh, my motto is, to live your life is your story. To live your life for others is your legacy. Leave a legacy. And I feel like so much of, of this conversation has been about your legacy. What do you want the next chapter of that to be? What do you want it to look like? I just have my writing needs to be done. Please don't ask me about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, 
Don't ask me. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. I need my writing to complete. And I have investigated places I should be. And I mean, I could be. There's no should. There ain't no should in life. Places I could be. I want to just give my gift in the right place for the rest of my time. And Maurice, I don't know where that is, but I can feel it. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be leaving the footnotes, collecting the archival work from dead design estates, designer estates. Like I was so touched. I met Reynolds Ruffin's son. Mm. He went out to Stanford to see his father's collection. For the heirs to say thank you is a blessing for me. I think being someplace high and mighty would take me off course. High and mighty is, uh, well, Charlotte, don't you want to be a dean of this or this, that? I'd be doing so much administration. I wouldn't be there for you. I can't change what I've been doing. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm there for you, Maurice. I've always been there for you. I'm leaving footnotes. I'm there for you. And if you all remember me, I'm touched. And all of the accolades helping my visibility so I can do more of that in places that want me. There are still places that do not want me. And when they don't want me, they don't want us collectively. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still there. But like I said, when we started, oh, I see you. but there are plenty that want me and my community and want to share this center stage of design and experience that's it i want to finish my journey and i think i'm also in a place where this the expectancy of surprise is i don't know where i'll be led and where i'll be invited but my heart has been good about this for 50 years so i have an expectancy that god will reward openly what I have done secretly for the body of Christ in this and for the body of designers, wherever they come from. I'm good, Maurice. I'm good. And by the way, I'm waiting on the MacArthur because (laughs) I'm I'm waiting on the MacArthur. That needs to be in the next chapter for sure. And the reason, the reason that I want it is it will just help me finish. That's it. Okay, because imagine doing all of what I've done with no payment. Mm -hmm. So it is a heart's desire because it will help me finish my work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just to wrap things up, and I know, of course, people can Google you and find you in in many, many places. But are there any places in particular that you want to point people to? So they can keep track of, of what's going on with with Cheryl. Cheryl yeah. Miller everywhere. Cheryl Miller everywhere. No, I post every I, I don't like Twitter, so you don't find me much over there. Right. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and if you want to support the NFTs, I'm on foundation. I'm painting, you know, I paint in the summer. That was an empty nester right before pandemic exploration. I left DC to go paint at RISD. Mm. And and life's pivot got me sophomore year signing up for graphic design at MICA. So I always, you know, in the empty nesting era right before all of this took flight again, I said, 
Charles, anything left of um, your painting? I paint in the summer and I paint during the break. And, you know, I would like a good gallery. I hate all these rules and regulations, Maurice, when it comes to art and design. Uh, you got to have this. You got to have that. I'm like, oh, man, I can paint. You know, really? <laughs> <laughs> I can design with my eyes closed. Really? I mean, you know, I would love a gallery to kind of like just get in relationship with me. And let me just send you paintings and you do what you do. If you ask me what I want, it's like, can it just be a touch easier? That's all. Because mm-hmm. I'll put in the hard work, man. I've done the work. This has not been an easy tour of duty. And I did all this with the design studio and my family and all this, the advocacy, the legacy part. So I have worked some and I continue to work. So anything that gives me grace and favor, I'm appreciative. So when the schools invite me, would you like to teach a class? We'll figure out the tech. I'm like, thank God. (laughs) Thank God, University of Texas. Thank God, Howard. Thank God, Art Center. Thank God, somebody, you know, Ms. Miller, we'll make it easy for you. All you got to do is beam in with your lectures and, you know, grade and read and do whatever you have to do. Come visit every now and again. Just make my path a little easier. So when I say the MacArthur, yeah, just, just make it a little easier. Mm-hmm. A gallery. Oh, I'm not going all over New York querying for a gallery for my paintings. Philip's got a catalog. You want to see him? He'll send you a catalog. You want to do business or what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. No, you want to do business? I'll give you some paintings. I guarantee you, you take my paintings, you're going to make money. This is what this is about. <laughs> I know how to make money in art. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just don't have the patience for the hurdles and the exclusion and what the industry does something so simple kids just want to draw and paint and make a living yeah and so it can't be that difficult so if you ask me anything that will make my life easier with what god gave me to do from the time i was a kid would be a blessing in my life maurice and you guys just remember me when you go to the conference did somebody get miss miller <laughs> did, somebody, did she have a seat do like Professor Teresa, can, you want to go dinner? Yeah, I want to go dinner. I want to hear what y'all are doing. The road ahead is think about your retirement, people. We can come back and talk about that. Think about it. You know, make decisions now because your clients will get old with you. They won't be there. Hiring managers are your age. They won't be there. So you've got to plan that out. And we can come back and talk about that. We need the industry. We need professors. Oh, my God. God, we need professors. If I get a call once, I get a call a hundred times a day. Cheryl Miller, you got any more Cheryl Millers? <laughs> like, uh, professors, associate professors that can get, who can, associate professors, not adjuncts, associates, mm-hmm. okay, that can, ready for tenure. We need them up the ranks terribly. And the opportunities are there, but they're not many of us. They're not many of us. Silas, Pierre, and Tashika can only teach a couple places at a time, you know? (laughs) I've been like, get your paperwork. Let's get going. We need professors. Integrate that with your practice. Figure out your retirement. Live happily ever after. Stand up. Show up. 
on these teams. Don't drift back. Be outstanding and stand out, Maurice. I'll say that one again. Be outstanding and stand out from the rest. When you can, make your gift the first. You won't be the only one, but you'll be most memorable. Don't imitate. Don't duplicate. Create. Prosper the God-given gifts in you. And don't take no for an answer. And sometimes you got to wait. Have some patience. God knows if I can wait 50 years for the wind of change, y'all can wait 50 weeks. <laughs> you can wait 50 days. I still meet people today. Tell me, I didn't know anything about it. I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't read the article 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> you know why they didn't read it? Because the books used to come in the mail. And if you didn't see your picture in the front of the book with an award, you toss it to the side. But I was right there writing <laughs> the articles in the back of the book. And I, I shout out and thank everybody. I always thank, thank you, thank you, thank you to my allies in this season. Both Ellen Lupton and Brian Collins have been a blessing for me. And I just want to make sure that I thank them openly and I thank them for their favor and their grace. I always thank everybody who's helped me. Yeah, Michelle Spellman, Cobb, I acknowledge her in my lectures. She's the first black graphic design, I mean, first black female art director time in. I didn't know what I was doing. No, Sports Illustrated. I didn't know what I was doing. She gave me my first job for Time Inc. And next thing I knew, Time Inc. Corporate was my client. And I had Cheryl Miller Design. I thank Michelle. I always thank Fo. Yeah, 50 years. Hip-hop graphics. Listen, Fo said Cheryl Miller to McDonald's, one of the best, best jobs I had while she was art director of YSB. We helped each other. I was in seminary and Michelle Washington remembered me. Mm-hmm. When they were doing those design before, they weren't giving us any design medals and stuff. She wrote one of those profiles for me. Yeah, design journeys. I remember that. Yeah. So we, we helped each other. We did what we could. I gave everybody work. Then I've had some I've had some wonderful allies in this season. Professor Sansone and all of my professors at UT, Doreen Lorenzo and Kate Canales and Kelsey Gray and Sean Adams and Bruce. I mean, I'm thanking everybody like I'm getting an Emmy here, you know, <laughs> you know, and when I met you with former president, Julie Annixter, she said, come on out of here, get out of the woods. I'm going to take, <laughs> take you to Chicago. Regina Roberts came all the way and beautiful allies brought me all the way, came all the way over here, get my boxes. Philip said, Cheryl, how many times we got to move these boxes? I said, until I figure out where to go. I saved everything. The whole Cheryl Miller. Y'all, I, I don't dare put up all my work on the internet. Y'all got a sample. <laughs> the whole, so many people, all of the awards people, all of the Smithsonian, and there's, there's so many people to thank and so many people to remember. You know, my allies and all everybody who's asked me for lectures. You know, there's so many people to thank. And so... I've had grace in spite of. So expect the grace. Express favor. Live well and life will be well to you. This is the last time we're going to have this conversation. I want to <laughs> shout out. I want to shout out to Pratt. We're keynoting their graduation and they're honoring me with, I guess they'll be announcing it soon. 
by April. I'm sure that by the time this runs, it'll be announced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're giving me an honorary uh, degree. I'll be keynoting at Radio City Musical. Oh. Yeah, for their graduation. And so, Maurice, it's really simple. Whoever will love me well, I will love well back. And when you love me, you love my community I represent. Well, amen to that. And amen I love to you. that. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Congratulations for your 10 years. You've been a blessing for me. I wish you well in all of your endeavors and all of your segues, victories, transitions, your writing, the podcast. God will smile on you. So, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we keep doing this. And I'm, I'm honored to be number 500. I know for sure this will be unless we're doing this again, and I'm 100 years old, and you're like, (laughs) (laughs) I expect a long life, but I don't expect that you'll interview me again, but maybe so. We don't ever know, you know. We don't know yet. And so I'm just listening. I think there's some places where I'm yet to arrive. You know, God doesn't show it to you all, and he doesn't give you everything that you want. Mm -hmm. And when when you're a gift, you get sent and you get placed. So each and every day I pray, okay, lead me, guide me, what you want me to do next. So I think there are other schools. I think there are other projects. I think there are other kids and scholars. And I'm proud of everyone's life that I've touched. And I'm grateful for all my allies in this season who've helped me. And they've helped me greatly. For everyone who's supported me over the years, clients and the stories are truthful. I pray a special prayer that God would thank you because I can't thank you better than when the God can touch your life and say, Oh, well that, that thank you came from Cheryl Miller. She prayed for you. Mm-hmm. So that's what you want. You want God to thank you for how your kindness and open door to me has blessed me. Once again, I want to thank you for always um, supporting me and have an interest in, in everything that I've been doing. And uh, I've been thanking everybody. And I just want to make sure that, I shout out to my universities that have accepted me and brought me into my new work. And of course, you know, we mentioned University of Texas, Austin Design with uh, Doreen Lorenzo and Kate Canales and everybody uh, in Austin there has been great to have me and my new scholarship. And it all really kind of started rolling with Nikki Nguyen at uh, Roger Williams University in Rhode Island and Professor Christina Sansone. In at Leslie Art and Design in Boston and put me uh, on the faculty there. And I've been with, um, I want to shout out and thank Bartley and Howard University. I was blessed to, to win a, a, an award for my new class there. And that's been exciting. And a real, real big shout out to Art Center. And Sean Adams had a vision to have me join out there. And so it's crazy, but this new hybrid scenario is allowing me to, to reach all of the universities that would have me. And so I'm very, very grateful and thankful for that. And everyone that nominated me for all these great awards, Ashley over at AIGA and everyone at Cooper Hewitt and the One Club. Oh, my goodness. Everybody has just blessed me. All my friends at the Poster House keep remembering me. A special shout out to, not sure if I mentioned before, Regina Roberts over at Stanford has been helping me with our collections and making sure all those footnotes are in place for the next generation. 
and um, the universities that have honored me with um, our honorary awards and keynote speaking. I want to shout out to Vermont College of Fine Arts, Micah, RISD, and I'm going to be keynote and receiving honorary from Pratt uh, for this graduation 2023. So I think I've gotten everybody. <laughs> There's so many people to thank over the course of a 50-year career, and especially no one had to remember me, Maurice, and pull me out of the card catalog in this season of uh, renaissance and resurrection and restoration or whatever we want to talk about, Cheryl D. Miller 2.0, since the pandemic. It's really been a blessing, everyone who has had me write, speak, lecture, teach something. It's all keeping me alive, and we're, we're moving. And especially you, Maurice, I'm so, so appreciative of everything that you've done and from remembering me from the very first, uh, back when you were doing South Southwest presentation, you came looking for me. I was definitely in the card catalogs uh, of the Decimal Dewey system, and you brought me forward. So there have been a lot of people that have been instrumental. I don't want to forget anybody. And if I have, please trust me. I remember every good will and wish toward me. I just am appreciative of the path of revision and vision that you have given us. I just want to say thank you. And so one more shout out to Art Center and Howard and UT. I'm just really grateful for the universities that are having me. Of course, all the clients that put up with me and my designers that put up with me over the years. It's been a, a really, what a crazy journey, but I'm living to see it happen and in the next generation of those who who seek this, to embrace this career. So Maurice, thank you. God bless you. God keep you and keep revisioning the past over and over again for us. And thank you. This is is your buddy Cheryl, auntie, and we thank you. (laughs) So with that, congratulations. Thank you for having me. Once again, you have my permission to make this one collectible. (laughs) (laughs) And and thank you for, I mean, I I don't really even know where to start. I mean, just thank you for being you, for being an example, for being a trailblazer, for continuing to write and rewrite the canon to show that, that we are here, we've done the work, we've existed, and we can continue to be here. And we have you as an example to show for that. So... Thank you. Thank you again for coming on the show for our 500th episode. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Listen, Maurice, and to everybody, just keep going and compete. Just compete. That's all I have to say. And don't shy back. You have to be in it to win it. So go for it. And there's so many more now. There were only a few of us back in the day, Maurice. Yeah. Okay. But now the tribe is an army. All right. And so we can move forward mightily. And I pray that blessing upon us all. And don't resist AI. Go get your certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my love. All right. Big, big thanks to Dr. Cheryl D. Miller. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Cheryl and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., 
particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you liked this episode, then let us know. We're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. You could follow us on Amazon Music. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We always, always love those. Or you can leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for 500 episodes. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, We'll see you next time.